John 9:39 because this is to be taken in context, otherwise we lose it. Remember the context of chapter 9 was the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus defending himself, you know, defending himself at the end. So John 9:39 starts and Jesus said, "For judgment I am come into the world that they which see not might see and they which see might be made blind." And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said, "Are we are we blind also?" And Jesus said unto him, "If you were blind, you should have no sin, but you say we shall we see, therefore your sin remains." Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door of the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of the stranger. This parable Jesus spoke unto them, but they understood not the thing what things they which the things which they the things they were which he spoke unto them. I'll get it out one way or the other. <laughs> All right, we're gonna look at this. So we have the context here. The blind man has been healed on the Sabbath. The the, the leaders of the temple and everything have accused Jesus of being full of and the man and whatever because he's claimed to be be God in the process. Uh, he's blaspheming the, 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 the Sabbath as far as they're concerned. And basically Jesus says, you know, hey, uh, I've come that those who cannot see will see and those who see cannot see. And he's talking about spiritual things at that point. I don't understand it. And I think they understood it because they asked him, are we blind? Are you saying we're blind? And basic answer, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, he said, no. He goes, see, but because you. Look at the scriptures. People, because they had the higher condemnation to him before God, because they knew the law. Just as we, in this day and age as Christians, have a higher condemnation, don't obey God's rules and laws and word, than the lost world who don't know don't know his word, we're required to be obedient, and so the scribes and Pharisees say, "We know, see, you have you're voluntarily now sinning instead of sinning in ignorance." Now both are bad, both have consequences, but this is the true, and I've said this many times. The more we know about God's word and, and him, the greater re responsibility we have to be obedient to him. And, you know, we also get that conviction from the Holy Spirit. So Jesus goes on and says, Truly, truly, or it is of the truth, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door of the sheepfold, but climbs up by some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. So I want to just take a quick look at this. We all kind of know what a sheepfold is. The Middle East, a sheepfold would be a wall with four sides, basically, with a doorway. If it was a permanent enclosure, it was made out of rocks, it would be three to four feet tall. And at the top of the, the rock wall would be very sharp rocks or brambles and thistles so that you couldn't just climb over it. Kind of like our day, we put barbed wire at the top of the fence to keep people from coming in. 
those walls would have very sharp uh, prickly thorns or very sharp small rocks with sharp protrusions to keep people from crawling over and or animals. A temporary one, it would just be kind of brambles stuck together in a wall within one opening in it. And that opening doorway where the shepherd to, to door unto the ship is the other way to get into the sheepfold and a robber. Now these words are very interesting because one of them, the, the idea of the thief in the, in the Hebrew is somebody who steals by stealth. You know, they, the burglar, they break in, steal when you're not at home. Robber is more of the brigand or the, the one that would come at you with the gun or a or a knife or something and steal by force. So basically Jesus is including anybody who doesn't come in the right way, whether by stealth or by blunt force, is on the downside of it. They're, you know, they're, they're coming in by the wrong way. And we've seen both, peop- both types around churches. Sometimes you get people who get inside and they're uh, wolves in sheep's clothing that make it look like they're, like they're Christians and sound like they're Christians but they say little things to draw people away. They do little things in the church to draw people away. They're just bluntly attacking the church. All right, we have both. And this is what Jesus is saying. Anybody that comes into the sheepfold other than by the door is bad. (laughs) He is the shepherd on this. And they're under shepherds of the flocks. But this is the protective area. We'd go more like when Satan accuses God of protecting Job. He says, you put a fence around him that nobody can touch him. So it's more of that type of offense that he's talking about. And it would be more inclusive. It's more of a spiritual spiritual place. Which would be a big part of a good sheepfold. He goes, but he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And this is kind of an interesting term. The shepherd of the sheep. I even looked that term up because it was so specific and it caught my eye. And I read in many of the commentaries that this is a term still used by Middle Eastern shepherds when they bring in their sheep. They go, I am the door of the sheep. All right. In other words, they put them into the, in the sheepfold. They will sleep at the door of the sheepfold. No one gets in without going over them and nothing gets out with going, o- going over them or through them. They are the door. So when Jesus was saying this, he wasn't just making something up. He was using a term that they would have understood at that time. He goes, I put my people in the sheepfold and I am the only way that the sheep get out and anybody gets into the sheep, which is a very interesting uh, statement when we think about it. And this is a true belief for us. Jesus is our protector. The walls, spiritual walls, however you want to look at it, that he's put up, there's only one way in and one way out by proper entry. Anybody who tries to get in otherwise is evil. To him the porter opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And I love this, the porter, because many times multiple shepherds would put their flocks in the same sheepfold. And... I've seen 
seen it in person. It would be fun to watch, I think, but I've seen video of this where a shepherd will call his sheep out of the out of the sheepfold and he just starts speaking and calls out their names and out come his sheep following him and they don't follow anybody else so Jesus is being very real on this the sheep know his voice and I think this is very important because I hear so many people go I don't know if I'm saved and I'm wondering I know my shepherd's voice if you don't know the shepherd's voice the problem is that you're not one of his sheep and you need to become one of his sheep. Our shepherd in so many scriptures, all right? We can look at Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, all over the place, God calls himself shepherd. And that is a very unique relationship that he wants to call. The shepherd, the shepherd cares for the sheep. Now, when God calls us sheep, he's not being nice because sheep are the dumbest animal that exists on the world. They are defenseless. They really cannot survive on their own. They have no, uh, no teeth to speak of, no, no real horns. The, the rams have a few horns, but they're not, they're not really that strong in their battle. Well, they have teeth, but not, not biting teeth. I mean, that's what he's saying. We are, we are weak, dumb, stupid, <laughs> and can't defend ourselves without a shepherd. But then he says, he is the shepherd. Now, the relationship of a shepherd to the sheep is very special. The shepherd loves their sheep, will lay down their life. They, when you are a shepherd, it's something that is important to you. Jesus says he is our shepherd. He calls them by name. God has a name. for. God says that he will give us a white stone with a name written on it. That is a personal name that no one else knows. So God, Jesus gives every single one of us a special name that's his pet name for us that no one else knows. And this is what shepherds would do. Shepherds, even to this day, the shepherds, especially in the Middle East, name their sheep. I don't know how they have that many names for a big flock but, and how they remember them, but because uh, a sheep looks like a sheep to me. But I'm sure there are distinguishing marks between every sheep out there. And the shepherd will know each one of his sheep by name. And the sheep know his voice. And this is something that is very important for us to understand. And this is important for sheep. Sheep have to be led. More than any other animal out there, they have to be led. You don't drive them uh, if you're going to do drive cattle, we drive horses, we do, you know, we, we push a lot of those bigger animals around, but the, the sheep need to be led. It's just a shepherd leads the sheep. They're the example to them of how to do things, and they're not saying, well, you got to go out there and do this, you got to, you know, this is very interesting, and it's been very true of all my life. God has asked me to do very, a lot of things. He has led me into doing a lot of things, but he's never made me do anything. I have always made a choice. Now, I'm sure my choices have been influenced a lot by him. Through the scripture, we see the references of God leading his people. In Deuteronomy 8.2, led you through the wilderness for 40 years. Now, their enemies kind of looked at them. Well, you guys have been going crazy. You've been going around in circles for 40 years. Moses said God led the people during that time. And it's sometimes very interesting how God will 
lead us in apparent circles because of our disobedience and not, and not listening to him. And he seems to lead us in circles. And we're going, God, do you know what you're doing? He goes, yeah, I know what I'm doing. But do you, do you, he's saying, I really want you to, you know, do this. I'm going to keep making life difficult until you finally do what I want you to do. And when I say no, I get to go in a circle again for a little while. And then he comes right back to, are you ready to do this again? And eventually I get smart and I say yes. After I've wandered around for a little while, I eventually will say yes. And then, you know, what really amazes me is when I finally when I say yes, I realize I didn't really, I don't want to do it anymore. God has brought me to the place where I just don't want it anymore. And I just want to serve him. And this is his leading, his patience with us. And, you know, this is something that is so important is learning patience with other people. God is so patient with us. I'm glad he's patient with me. Otherwise, I'd have been long gone from now. But, you know, how many times do we not take that patience that God shows to us and show it to other people? God forgives us and gives us grace. Do we show grace to others, God, and forgiveness to others? You know, how far do we go with what what it is are we taking what god gives us and passing it on to others and being able to just help lead instead of expecting people to do certain things you know and this can be very difficult you know because god works with each one of us at a different timetable but we need to be careful about doing it because it may offend and we need to be aware of that it doesn't mean it's wrong to do it it just means be careful and over time, your convictions are going to change. All right, I used to be able to do this. Now I can no longer do this because God has told me, now I can't. And I've had this happen many times in my life. What I could have done 30 years ago and I can't do today didn't mean I was wrong 30 years ago. It just means that I have grown to a place where God says, you cannot do this anymore. And we need to be able to understand that, that he's working with us. He leads us that is going to be harmful in the long run. Now, we may feel like we're being harmed. We may feel like we're being beat up and, and hurt. But it is nothing that is going to be detrimental in the long run. And, you know, what's, what's the most detrimental thing that we can think of as a human being is to die, and yet that's the greatest thing that can happen to us because we'll end up in heaven. So we need to be able to keep things in perspective on where he's eating. And he says, I lead my sheep, and my sheep hear my voice. And it goes, and when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They, they know his voice. He says, a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. And this is a very interesting statement. A stranger's voice will not be heard and followed and this is something there's many times when I listen to something on the radio or some Bible teacher and all of a sudden I hear something that is just off enough to catch my attention because a stranger's voice has started talking it's no longer God's voice very important for us and I've heard people go well what if they're in a bad church then God if they're really God's child he's going to take them out of a bad church he's going to take them away from a poor pastor he's going to take them move them into some place where they can be taught correctly now that doesn't mean that a pastor is always 100% going to be right because none of us speak with with uh, God's words every moment of every minute um, but 
we should be speaking more correct doctrine than not and be willing that when we're shown that we've spoken it incorrectly correct it you know every once in a while somebody will say well you didn't say this right and i'll try to correct it and make sure i make that statement as much as i don't want to teach wrong every once in a while there, there may be some bit of doctrine that may not be quite right now, now most of that is gone after 52 years of study but every once in a while god will say here's something new for you to 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 add to what you know it's not a new idea to to dress in the opposite sex and to act like some the opposite sex it's happened over and over throughout history you know, so there's nothing new, and our world is desperately looking for something new. There's nothing new. So when we come up to things, if something to, seems like it's totally brand new, either we were way off in our thinking, or whatever's coming in that looks brand new is off. And I'm going to tell you, for, at least for my sake, I'm going to look at whatever's coming in is probably way off, because I don't think I'm way off on most of anything. So if it's totally brand new and exciting and crazy there's probably something wrong with what's being taught and we want to be very careful listen to the holy spirit be discerning get into the word and make sure that what they're teaching is correct and this is the move right now in our in many churches in our in our nation they're moving to so-called apostles that are making things up that aren't biblical and saying that god's speaking to them but it doesn't match what the scripture says and I can tell you right now, rule number one, if it does not match what the scripture says, the person is a liar no matter what, what authority they're claiming. It must match scripture. And not picking verses out of it, but the context of scripture is what we're listening to. His word, the shepherd's word. Any other voice is that stranger trying to lead us astray. And we want to be very careful about this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. All right, so here are the illustrations in this next section. And this is something we have to be looking for all the time is how many people do we come across the voices that want to lead us from God following through with this he goes don't listen to those voices on Thursdays Jeremiah talking, and there would be dozens of false prophets all saying what everybody wanted to hear and poor Jeremiah saying this is what God says you know you know and oftentimes we as we follow God are going to be in the minority and all kinds of voices saying different things and one of the things that I've told said so many times over history you look over the history and how many times is the majority wrong because the majority follows the world and gets into deeper and deeper in sins and this is where we are in our day and age you know, we have fornication adultery uh, homosexuality transgenderism all being things said, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, God says, go out and work. Happening in our day and age, well, just take as much, take as little work as you can, and take as much. And it's very interesting because the world today is very much going through everything. 
God says is good, they're saying is bad. Hard work, don't go out and work, you know, they're advantage of you. You know, all of these things, everything that's going on that's leading further and further away from God. And, and he goes on to the saying, the thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. So the thieves come in, and this is very interesting because he says that he is the good shepherd who protects his sheep and leads the sheep. He says the thieves come in to do exactly the opposite. They, and we look at what what saying they're doing. He says they come in to steal, number one, and that's to take away, take away from people. Laws, if we want to come into the spiritual world, to bind up that freedom that Christ gives us. It's many times in churches where people start looking for the rules and start applying the rules. It's all about the rules that he gave them to him. No joy, no peace, no, no excitement because all you had to do was... And I've seen churches where that happens. Not that necessarily that they throw Jesus out, but they go, well, you know, if you're going to be a good Christian, you need to be dressed like this when you come to church. You need to be... Movies, you can't go to, you can't go to any, any place where alcohol is served. Don't... Don't play cards. Don't, you know, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. And, and if you follow all these rules, you might be a good Christian. Taking away, the false teachers taking away the freedom that God gives us, the liberty. And because they are stealing. All right, let me finish 10 and I'll go back to verse 9. Because I do think I skipped verse 9. Satan wants to steal from us, steal our joy, steal our peace, steal everything from us and make us bound up by rules wants to kill, literally kill us so that we're not looking for him. And then he goes, and to destroy. Everything that Satan wants to do is destroy. And let's, after, let's go back to nine. I am the door by me. If any man enter, he shall be saved or rescued. And I love this, and shall go in and out. We are not bound and forced to stay in the sheepfold. Matter of fact, we're encouraged to leave the sheepfold. Because we're to go out and talk to and preach to the world. Uh, Satan likes to bind us up. Here is your your prison. Here is what you're going to be bound up in. Whether it's bound up in fear, uh, whatever it might be, he looks to steal our joy. God has joy in our salvation. And how often does Satan come in and try to steal that joy? Try to get us to forget what it means to be saved. Forget what it means to be in joy of what we, what we have. And it's so easy. He gives us victory over many things and Satan tries to steal those victories from us. He does it as a thief, going back again. He does it as a thief, trying to just subtly make us forget. This is why I tell us all the time, we need to remember. Take a book of remembrance of answered prayers or you know, where God is blessed. So that when you feel the thief coming trying to steal your joy, one of my favorite hymns that we don't sing probably is Count Your Blessings. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And you know, this is very important because we can either count our curses and lose all of our joy, and that's easy because the flesh likes to think that way, or we can count our blessings. This is what God's done. This is what God's done. This is what God's done. 
And it really changes when you start really focusing on what God is doing. All of a sudden, everything else starts to change. Because now you start seeing almost everything as a blessing in the long run. You know, even though it may not look like a blessing. And when he did this, it didn't look like a blessing, but this is what came out of it. All right. And this can be our story. I've heard testimony that, you know, they were needing funds and all of a sudden they had a minor accident in, you know, in their car and, the, you know, didn't really need to be repaired, but they got enough money to pay a bill or got into a small accident, which, you know, if they'd have been where they thought they wanted to go, they'd have been in a big accident. You know, we don't know what kind of issues would be there. But whenever we face something that looks like it's bad, we need to be starting to look and go, God, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see where the blessing's coming out of this. What kind of blessing will come from this, act, this activity coming my way? Because he gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us life. The second half of verse 10 says, I am come that they may have life. And this word for life is Zoe life. And it's used for spiritual life, a full spiritual life. All right, and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, this is a very interesting thing. God gives us spiritual life. That in and of itself is a special blessing in my, in my thought process. But he goes on and says, and that have it more abundantly. Now, when we look at the word more abundantly, it literally means super added or overflowing. God gives us spiritual life, which is a great blessing and great peace and great joy. And then he says, oh, and besides which, I'm going to give it to you overflowing. It's, you know, he's not sitting there, and I've described this before. You know, a lot of people picture God as sitting there with our blessings with some kind of eyedropper. You know, here's your three drops of, of blessing. Whoops, I gave you four. You're, you, don't get another, you, you lose one tomorrow. You know, how many people think of God that way? God is up there just miserly giving me blessings. And everywhere we see, he is super added, overflowing in our blessings. We need to have a mindset that says, God, you are, you are wanting to bless me. You want to do these things for me. Because it is so easy for us to think of God as this mean, nasty you know, ogre up there that is, doesn't want us to be, you know, happy and blessed and, and fulfilled. But that is not the picture of Scripture. Even in the Old Testament where people think he's a mean, nasty, you know, ogre, it was still a loving, caring father who provided all the blessings for his people and had grace for them and didn't give them what they deserved. And so the New Testament really brings that out, that he loves us. He loves us so much that Jesus died for our sins. And he says... I have so much more. And I think he has more for us than we ever can imagine. I think we limit most of what we get in our, in our life by, by what we refuse to accept. Now, I'm not going to go name it and claim it. But most of us do have this limit. I struggle with this a lot. You know, God, I really don't deserve this. It really would be nice if I got it, but you know... I know that I don't deserve it. I am not, I'm not serving well enough. I don't do this. I don't do that. I suffer with this as much as anybody else. 
He says, super abundant. He goes, I've got more abundance. I want it to come out. Your life is going into you. I'm pouring this life into you. And it is flowing over. You know, it's splashing out all over the place and touching everybody as we walk around because God says, I have super abundantly filled you with life. Do we feel like that most of the time? Probably not. Should we? He says it over and over in the scriptures that we are filled to overflowing. And this is the life that Jesus wants to give us. He's the shepherd leading us to pastures. Now, we may not kind of like where those pastures might be. The pasture pasture may not be a good path, but he takes us to the pasture that it is a good pasture when we get there. We just need to be able to understand the road may be a little hard for a while, but the end result is good. Now, I understand. I've been there, been there many myself where that road is really, really hard. And we need to not get frozen by those hard times, whatever they might be. Financial, temptation, uh, issues with families, whatever it might be, times that are tough are just for us to say, God, I can't, see what, I can't wait to see what's on the other side of this hardship. And that hardship, for some people, makes them bitter. And other people get through the other side and go, wow, look at, look at where I'm at. You know, but I have seen many people who never get back on the path. They just stay bitter and angry because God has led them in some hard places. But they left the path. Now they've been beat up by the lion because they left the path and they went inside the chain. And they get beat up because they didn't follow the shepherd. If you're in that place, get back on the path. (laughs) Get back on the path. Get to where the shepherd's at. And I've seen so many people whose lives have been totally turned upside down because they stopped and left the path and didn't follow the shepherd. Now, granted, it's hard sometimes to follow the shepherd. I've been there, done that many times where, God, I don't like where this is going. That, uh, That path is awfully dark. There's a lot of growling and growling and, and all kinds of things out there. And we need to be careful about that. Because the further we get from the shepherd, the harder it is because now he has to come and rescue us. And he, if we give him that opportunity. But he says, I have come to give you this life and to give it more abundantly. And let's see, where am I at? Verse 11, I am the good shepherd... Okay, so his next point is, first he's the door, the, care and, uh, the door of the sheep. Now in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he is, is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And other sheep have I, which are not of this fold, which I must also bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, and I take it up again, that I may take it up again. No man takes it from me, but I laid it down myself, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have received of my Father. 
All right, so his second story is now that he's the shepherd. All right, he goes, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And this word for gives his life literally is he, he lays it down, okay? He lays it down, life, which would be significant enough because he did do that. But he lays down all of his emotions and his innermost thoughts and being. Not just his life, but all of who he is is laid down for his sheep. Do on the cross, it wasn't just his life that was, was given. He gave all of himself. He became sin on that cross and was separated from the Father for a period of time. He gave all not just the life. The life would have been simple. I give up my life. I take everything. The soul is the innermost being of who we are. All right? We see these bodies and we think this is who we are, but who are we really? We are the soul and the spirit that inhabit the body. And what goes on after this body passes away, the spirit and the soul leave this body, the body just decays. But who we are continues. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So this is a very interesting statement that Jesus says that that I'm the good shepherd that gives his soul for the sheep. Everything about us is what he looks at. And I think this is so interesting because I can picture in heaven, we as the church are his bride. Jesus is waiting for his bride. For those of us who've been married, we know what that day is like when we're waiting for the bride to come down, waiting for the bride to come. Jesus is waiting to go get his bride. I can almost picture how anxious he must be because he says only the father knows the day that he gets to go for his bride. And there's going to be a day when the Father says, now's the time. Go get your friend. And this whole idea of the marriage, and I don't know what it's like from the woman's coming down the aisle, but I know what it was like from down at the end of the aisle watching my wife, you know, my bride down. It's like, all right, about time. Here she comes. <laughs> Here's the most beautiful woman coming down that, down that aisle. <laughs> and it's about time. And, on, and there, every eye is on her. He's laid down his very soul for his bride to be able to win his bride to, him, to his side. And then he goes, he goes, but the hireling, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees not, a uh, flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters them. So here, Jesus is very much, and the scribes and Pharisees are going to understand this, they understood this. They understood what was going on because all through the scriptures, God had very harsh, false shepherds who did not care for their sheep, are not caring, and there's going to be great condemnation for them. Jeremiah speaks of the false shepherds. Ezekiel speaks of the false shepherds and pastors. All scriptures, God is saying, there are these, the false prophets, all these people that are leading the people astray. They are the hireling that will run and not stay and fight. And this is important for us. Are we called to shepherd anybody? And if we are, we need to do the hard things. 
Sometimes that means calling them out for their, for their misdeeds. Sometimes it means being by their side when they're being beat up and trying to help them. Whatever it means, it means being there because Jesus is by our side always. When we're his sheep, he's always there. And he can be in, around all of us at the same time with no problem. And he says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Whoops. Oh, let's go back to 13. Um, the, or 12, the, the hireling sees the, sees the enemy coming and he runs. And the enemy tears him up. Unfortunately for us, the church in America especially has had a lot of false shepherds over this time and they have not cared to defend. And American Christianity has really fallen by the wayside. There's a lot of times where people are not called to follow God. And we've seen it over and over again in some of these denominations and churches that are just falling by the wayside. What God says don't do is exactly what they're doing. They're appeasing the world and not following after God. And they're leading their people into great condemnation in the long run because they're going to be hurt. Because there will be judgment. Even if they are saved, there's still going to be responses for your disobedience. There's consequences for disobedience. And if if they're not called out, there's people who are still going to have consequences. And it says the hireling flees because he is a hireling and he doesn't care about the sheep. And there are many out there that just don't care about the sheep. And I can't imagine trying to be a pastor and not care about about your people. But there are many out there that are that way. They don't care about their people. All they want is whatever money they can make from their church. And I guess they better be in a big church because that's the only way you're going to make money. Because <laughs> um, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known by mine. And this, this word for know and known is understood. All right, God understands us. Jesus understands us because he was one of us. Now he didn't commit sin or anything, but he knows everything we go through. He knows what it's like to be tempted by what we see, what we hear, what we, what we have feelings for, the emotions. He understands all of that. Even more important, he says, and am known of mine. This is very important for us to understand. When we are his, we start to understand things more the way he understands them. All right? We start understanding the Bible. We start understanding that we're sinning, that we're under, under conviction. We start understanding what grace is, what love is. It's been said many times that we cannot, as a human being, love others until we understand what love is. And how do we understand what love is? For God so loved, uh, loved us first so that we can love others. All right? We cannot truly love people without experiencing love. And when I say love, I'm talking about that unconditional love that God shows. Now, many human beings have all kinds of quote-unquote love. And for human beings without being God's love, as long as I'm feeling something and getting something out of the relationship, I'll be in love with you. As soon as I'm not getting something out of the relationship, I don't love you anymore. That is not true love. The true love is the one of God that says, I am going to love you even when you don't deserve it. This is the love that holds a marriage together. This is a love that holds families together. That love that says, I am going to love you no matter what. I don't care if you deserve it or not. That's how God loves us. It's 
unconditional love or, as I say, objective love. He chooses to love us and it doesn't matter what we do. We need to learn to be able to give that kind of love and it's not easy. We have to learn it from God. But he says, you understand, my, understand me. He goes, the Father knows me, even so know I the Father. So he goes, the Father and I have. And then again, he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. And I love that. I lay down. Jesus' life was not taken from him. All right? He voluntarily gave it. Because this is what he told Pilate. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate says, you know, don't you know who I am? Don't you know the power I have? And, God, and what he says, you would have no power unless it was given to you. I lay down my life. And if you read all through from Gethsemane on, Jesus is in control everywhere. But they get back up and he goes, I'm, who are you seeking? Jesus said, I am. Let these others go. You're, they're not the ones you want. Who tells the arresting officer, let everybody else go, just take me? And gets away with it. Jesus did. All through this process, Jesus is in control of everything that was going on and full control, even though it didn't look like it to most people. He laid down his life. Must I also bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. This is a very interesting statement because a lot of people have taken this, especially like the Mormons, that there's other people that weren't, weren't there and they were far, far away. Context of this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees in the temple about this. Other sheep have I that aren't of this fold that aren't Jews. That aren't Jews. Plain and simple. They're not Jews, so they get to be part of that fold. And we as Gentile believers are brought into the fold with Christ in the Judaism because he is Jew. And then he goes, Therefore does my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. He says, I lay it down and I'm going to take it up again. He goes, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't the end of him. He went down, he died, and then he was down for a while and he says, I took my life back up. Why? Because he's God. He's above it. He then brought his life back because he is the giver of life. And, you know, it says, no man takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up. He's really getting under their Who has the power of life? Only God. I control my life. And he's going to do just that on the cross. Surrenders it on the cross. Because even when he says, he says, I, you know, Father, forgive them. And then he gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost, it said. And he just, he, he gave it up. And then at resurrection, he took it back. He took it back. After three days, when he's supposed to be totally dead and can't come back, he comes back. He says, I have that power. No man takes my life from me. I give it. The idea is Jesus has the power over life. He laid down his own and he back up. And he said, and this commandment I have received of my father. The power to be in charge of And we want to keep this in mind that he had full power over his life. He has full power over our life. And this is going to be a great comfort to us 
to really truly understand who is the giver of life and who is the taker of life. And we have people that commit suicide and murder and everything, but they could not do it if God did not allow it. And we don't know why he allows certain things to happen like that, but he knows what he's, what his reasons. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Lord, help us to seek you and hear your words. Help us to follow you do, and to know that you are our shepherd, that you care for us, that you are our one that gives overflowing life to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.